All right. Good morning. It's pretty good. Good morning. Good to see you here today. I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us. Thanks to all of you that are joining us online. Happy Father's Day. Let me say to all of you dads, uh, I am also like Kate in the game with you. And uh, I know what it is to wonder if I'm going to have what it takes uh, to be dad. And uh, I was thinking about you this morning. We're going to pray for you in just a minute, dads and and fathers and grandfathers. Uh, But you are so important. And I want you to know that uh, what we learn from the scriptures is that God has wired you uh, just right to be the father in your household of your kids and I, I get what it is to, uh, to wonder if you're going to be the dad that they need and to focus on the things, you know, those moments where you, you messed up or it didn't go the way that it should have gone. And all you can think about is like those things. Uh, but he, here's the really good news is that usually your kids and your, your family, they have a lot of grace for you. And, uh, and always uh, God has a lot of grace for you when you come to him with that stuff and so what I'd say to you is uh, just exactly what Cade said. Stay in the game. Uh, you, what we know is that fathers and grandfathers that love their wives well and that lead their children well uh, produce uh, what is what I'm going to call fruit disciples that, that are hurled into the next generation. It's way better than any uh, church or program could put together is what it means to see a father demonstrate a walk with christ sometimes that just means repentance right in front of everybody because you because you blew it but sometimes that means uh courage compassion uh walking in faith kind of going against the flow when everything else is going the other direction bringing hope uh when it feels like there is no hope and uh you've got you've got all that stuff in your bones And uh, you're so, so, so important and so, so, so loved. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect father, but there's a lot of great ones right here sitting in this room. And so thank you for how you serve. And I just want to pray, pray over you. So let me, let me pray. Um, Father, um, thank you. Uh, You are the only perfect father. Uh, But lots of us here in this room, we desire to be good ones. And uh, so, God, give us everything that we need. Um, Father, love that is steadfast, uh, patience that endures, strength that comes from you, wisdom that comes from you, uh, peace that passes understanding that comes from you. God, help us uh, not to believe lies from the enemy, but to understand uh, your your grace to us and um, help us to lead our families well. Uh, bless these these men, these fathers and grandfathers that are here. Bless them and keep them. Make your face shine on them. Be good to them. Um, be their peace giver this day and forevermore. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning, continuing our series in the book of uh, James. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just say our students are back from camp. They went to Sherman, Texas. Uh, I have just only briefly heard this morning's stories of a couple of salvations, a couple of students that are going to be following Christ and believers' baptism, and lots of students that were discipled uh, in new ways just as they put their phones down and they got uh, some time away. Uh, and uh, I, I love that we got to, be, to do that and be a part of that and love the fruit that is born in that. And then we just got back from Israel. It was an amazing experience. I will tell you the deserts of the Middle East 
are so much cooler than Houston, Texas. This is terrible. Uh, you need to carry water with you everywhere you go here because, man, it is hot. But uh, what we did see is a lot of, of, of disciples of Jesus born. Uh, and we saw four follow Jesus in uh, believer's baptism. Um, I, I don't go over there and like baptize everybody that's already been baptized. I, I just don't do that. But if someone says, I want to follow Jesus in baptism, because I never have, we do. And, uh, and so it was awesome to see these four uh, come, come for baptism. It was incredible time together. It's always super fruitful. So thanks being a, for being a church that is willing to uh, invest in that way. All right, James chapter 4. Would you stand with me? We're going to read verses 7 to 10, although we'll talk about the whole chapter. We're going to focus on verses 7 uh, to 10. It says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You can be seated. All right, so James is writing this letter to the church of Jesus Christ. It's not everybody else out there. It's to the church. And this letter is amazing because it shows us like how to live as people who follow God. And it's very practical. Uh, and, and chapter four is no, uh, no, no different. I want to talk about two kinds of friendship because James says we, we struggle with two kinds of friendship. One is friendship with the world. The other is friendship with God. And sometimes as people of God, we like to have our foot in both relationships. We kind of love the world on the one hand and on the other hand, we, we love God. And, and according to this passage of scripture, that in and of itself breeds a tension with God, a sense of double-mindedness that comes out in, in quarrels and speaking against one another in ill ways and boasting about tomorrow like we have any uh, control over what happens tomorrow. James chapter 4 verse 4 says, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I would say that it's probably just like the church uh, Christians were struggling with that in, in James's day. It's definitely the case in the United States of America for the church that we like to have a foot in each world. We like to love the things of the world, to, to enjoy the successes of the world, and at the same time, love the things of God and enjoy the benefits that are being in a relationship with God. And really, uh, all God says to us is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And every last bit of it. And so James is saying, don't be double-minded or you're going to have enmity with God. And he gives a solution. He gives us five things we should do to quelch what are worldly passions. Check out verse 1. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That word passion is a Greek word, hedone, which we get the word hedonism. It's the idea that we are the center of the universe and that it is our sole uh, purpose to, to really uh, live for the passions and desires of our flesh and that are propagated through the culture that we live in, through the world. And yet, 
uh, we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so James gives us five things we should do to quell these worldly passions, to put to death this friendship with the world, and to love God with all of our heart. I do want to say on the upfront that these things are given in the plural sense. So it's always when it says you or yourselves, it always means plural. This kind of these five things, you're really hard to do by yourself. You really need other people in the, in the context of your life, the church of Jesus Christ to really help you live these particular ways. Because on your own, very, very, very uh, difficult You need true friends, brothers and sisters, walking these things out with you. Do not go it alone. So here's the first thing that James says in in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. How does a person submit himself to God? Submission is an act of volition. It's an act of the will. It's not something that happens to you magically, but it is a choice. It is an act of volition that says, I am going to submit myself to God. It's a choice to hear him and obey him. But how do I hear God? Well, you listen, of course. When you hear what he says, you do it. You say to yourself, like Pastor Brian, that is overly simplified. How do I hear God? Does anybody ever struggle with that? How do I hear God? So I know how to submit to him. We were walking along uh, the the ancient paths in Israel, and we had a 12-year-old on our trip this year, which might be the youngest I've ever taken over there. And that 12-year-old, everybody else is sucking wind, and that 12-year-old comes bounding to the front like, I'm fine. And he he comes next to me and says, I have a question. Like, okay, ask your question. While we're walking, ask your question. He asks this very question. How do you hear God, Pastor Brian? How do you hear God? Because I want to hear God, but I don't necessarily hear God. And I was thinking, okay, how do I explain this in a 12-year-old sort of, uh, sort of way? And, 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 and then I thought, well, it is, it is really simple. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. But it's really, it's really simple. How do you hear God uh, in several ways? I hear him uh, basically through his word. Um, we have been given this Bible, this amazing text that has been perfectly preserved so that we can hear God. So when I read his word, his voice, I hear him speak. There's something supernatural about that. There's something amazing about that. But That's how I hear is that I ask God to speak to me. I open up, I read James chapter four and I hear what he's saying to me. And if I'm going to submit to him, then I have to hear him and obey him. So you you have to read his word. But it's not the only way that I I hear him. I also hear his voice by his spirit, which sounds maybe more ominous or ethereal. How do you hear his voice by his spirit? But I, I, I as I thought about his question, I thought there are times the Holy Spirit communicates with my spirit. It's a spiritual, uh, it's a spiritual uh, communication. I'll sense something like a check in my spirit, like guidance or like conviction. I'll sense an excitement in my spirit about things of God, things that he is passionate about. I'll receive direction, perhaps a thought or a nudge in my spirit when checked against God's character and nature, I know they are of him. And when I take steps to follow, I'm, I am submitting by obeying. Now, how do you know that's the Holy Spirit speaking? I mean, it's like, okay, he 
you hear God by reading his word and by the spirit. How do you know this is the Holy Spirit? You ever get confused? Like sometimes, how do I know this is not me just thinking? And how is how do I know this is the Holy Spirit? Or how, what if this is some other spirit? And also the answer to that question is very simple. If you're spending time in God's word, you will understand the character and nature of God. And when you hear the voice of God through a nudge or conviction, he speaks to you by his spirit, you will recognize it. As the voice of God, because it will it will check perfectly against the word of God. People who spend no time in the word of God and always say they hear the spirit 90 percent of the time, hear their own thoughts. I'm telling you. They manipulate. They say, I the spirit is telling me the Holy Spirit said, God said, God said, God said, you have you cannot understand that and hear that unless you're spending time in his word. This is how you know his character and his nature. So I said to this 12 year old kid, like the best thing you could ever do is pray, open up the Bible and pray and ask the Lord to speak to you and write down what he says. It's going to be that simple. You'll know he's saying, hey, submit to God. You'll know he's telling you to do that because it's written right there in his word. And then perhaps later in the day as you're walking along these paths or you're going to school or whatever, he's going to give you ways in which you should submit to God. And you're going to remember what he said. He'll speak to you by his uh, spirit. And so when James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, he's saying, hear the voice of God. And by the act of your will, submit to the things that he's saying to you. Now, we live in a society that says you should submit to no one. And this is quite the opposite of that. James is saying we submit wholly and firstly and primarily we submit ourselves to God. So if you don't want to have a foot in the world and a foot in in the church, if you don't want to have two kinds of friendship and enmity with God and double-mindedness, then first and foremost, you have to submit yourself to God. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 1. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, Paul is saying you need to submit so much, so far to God in that you lay your own life down on an altar as a living sacrifice to him. You are completely and wholly submitted uh, this is an act of the will. It's not something that happens to you. It's something you choose. And people, I think, are often waiting for God to do something to them that will allow them to have this magical power of submission. In reality, submission to anyone or anything, including God himself, is guess whose choice? Mine. I, it's an act of volition. So we submit ourselves to God. That's the first thing. The second thing he says is that we must resist the devil. You see it again in verse uh, 7 of chapter 4. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does it mean to resist the devil? To resist is to push back. So it looks like this. When you are tempted, you push back by not sinning in that temptation. You choose not to follow through with what the, the temptation is leading you to. You choose the narrow path of righteousness instead of the wide path of, of destruction. To resist the devil is to pray in those moments for power to overcome. To resist is to be fully known by a few and confess your sins to one another. Does that horrify anybody? Confessing our sins to one another. 
This is a way that we resist the work of the enemy. Uh, a lot of times people will say to me, and it is ha- this has come up through the years many, many times, is it okay if I just confess my sins to God? Because that feels like a little bit of anonymity, and we're going to definitely get grace, but if I have to con- convent- confess my sins to somebody else, I'm not sure I can handle that. Yet the scripture is telling us over and over, you should confess your sins to one another. And here's what the enemy does. He lies to you and to me. And he says, if you will just, if you will just hide your sin under the, the, the carpet, it will be okay. But if you pull that out, if you show it to God, if you show it to somebody else in the context of your local church, somebody you trust, have a relationship with, man, that is going to be the death of you. What is true is that when you humble yourself and resist the devil by telling somebody else, you don't have to tell everybody, but by telling somebody else who's walking with Jesus, I struggle with this sin in this way. What you're going to find from a follower of Jesus is grace every stinking time. What you're going to find when you pull it out for Jesus, you're going to find grace every single time. And that's, that's the enemy. He just wants you to be afraid. But, but we resist by being known fully by a few. According to James, when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. He goes when we push back. But he is like a lion when we succumb to the temptation, when we succumb to the lies. So the second thing James says we have to do is resist the devil and he will flee from us. Third thing, James 4, 8 James says that we need to intentionally get closer to God. He says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now this to me is fascinating because any feeble attempt that I make to step closer to God apparently comes with the surety that he will come close to me. So let's say that you're not taking any steps to to be close to God except showing up for church today. Uh, In that, he will draw close to you as you've taken this step to show up. But let's say, let's say this week you open your Bible and you read and you pray and ask God to speak to you. What James is saying is when you take a step to draw near to God, it may seem feeble. Maybe you never open your Bible except on Sunday morning. Maybe it's a Tuesday and you decide to open your Bible and ask the Lord to speak to you. He says any step that you take to draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That is that is a surety. And so we have to then draw near to God by taking small steps consistently toward him. A lot of times they seem feeble. A lot of times we think, I don't know if that's going to matter or not, if I pray or if I, uh, if I open my Bible on my own. I don't even understand how, how, what it says or how, how, it, how it works. But James says, like, if you take those steps to draw near, he will draw near to you. Uh, we set our mind on things of God in this way. We pray consistently, practicing obedience. We worship. We show up like this. All these things are baby steps, small steps, drawing near to God that while seem feeble on our end, it bless God and he draws near to us. And so there should be intentionality on our part to draw near to God. Again, we are typically waiting for God to do something magical to draw near to us. And James is saying, you take a step, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
The fourth thing that James says about avoiding friendship with the world and being fully in love with God is that we need to repent of sin. Look at verse uh, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying we need to repent of sin. Now, again, I just point out that James is writing to Christians to teach them how to live. He assumes that you get that you are a sinner, uh, that I am a sinner, that you get that you struggle with double-mindedness. You get that you struggle with having a foot in the world and a foot in heaven. Um, I just came from the land of mikvah. You know what mikvah is? Mikvah is uh, is a ceremonial washing bath. So anytime in the first century uh, in Israel, anytime you get ready to do something holy, like go to synagogue or go up to the temple for uh, a holy day, or even uh, to practice Sabbath. Anytime you get ready to do something holy, you got to go in this hole in the ground filled with water, and you spread your fingers and toes, and you, and you give your head, your heart, your hands, and your feet back to the Lord. That is, that is cleansing your hands. This is the ceremonial washing. Now, you notice we don't have a mikvah in the back. You didn't have to come through water to get in here. You don't have a mikvah in your backyard, most of you, where you're like, I just sinned, I need to go do a mikvah. We know that the scripture teaches that Jesus washed us clean by his blood on the cross. James knew that. Yet James is still saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners, so that while you've, you've received Christ and you've been made righteous, there is still... A going through life, a present tense reality that says, yes, you've been justified by faith in Jesus. You're in right standing before God. You're going to be glorified in eternity when your life, uh, when you pass on or, or, or if Jesus returns. But there is today. How many of you know there's a sin struggle today? Can you just say yes? I understand. So I know it's not just me. There is a sin struggle today. Let me just be a master of the obvious. How many of you know there are people that have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that believe in their heart, that God raised them from the dead, and yet struggle with evil things? There's a lot of people in that category. A lot of people. And this is what James is saying. Like you're, You've got to reject these evil things. Now, this again is an act of volition. You're waiting for something magic to happen. But, but James is saying, like, do the active work of cleansing your hands and purifying your heart. Now, another word for that in the, in the context of the scripture is repentance. The Hebrew word shuva. And it means, it means more than being sorry. How many, just watch this for a minute. So let's say I, I, I'm a Christian and I am. And I walk through life and I, I sin and I say to God, I'm, I'm sorry and I genuinely am sorry, but I keep walking this direction and I sin again the same particular way like four hours later. And I say to God, I'm sorry. And then four days later, I keep walking this direction and uh, nothing has changed except I keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But this shuva word looks like this. It's more than being sorry. It is uh, sensing a need for forgiveness and walking this direction and realizing being convicted of sin and, and asking God for forgiveness. But shuva, repentance, is I ask God for forgiveness and then I change my direction 
and I walk in a different direction. Right? That's different than just feeling sorry. True repentance is a shuva. It is changing your direction and walking back toward God. And this is what James is saying. Like, you, you're going to have a foot in the world and enmity with God if you just keep saying you're sorry, you're sorry, you're sorry, walking in the same direction. You need to repent, cleanse your hands, reject the evil, and walk in a new direction. Isaiah 1.16 says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And it's that ceasing to do evil part that we need to get our heads around. It is one thing to recognize evil and be sorry that you did it. Another thing to cease to do it. So repentance is turning back toward God. Now here's the good news. Jesus says, Of Jesus, it is said by John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. John knew you would sin after receiving the gift of Christ. He knew you would. There's no uh, limitation on repentance. Did you know that? That's the gift of repentance. You have this opportunity to cleanse your hands in repentance by turning to Jesus each and every day. And I would say that it is a... Again, an act of volition. It's nothing magic that happens to you. You decide to turn back to God more than just being sorry. Here's the fifth thing that James says we must do in order to, to, uh, to love God with all of our heart and to reject friendship with the world. He says in verse 10, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, humility... We live in a culture that is a self-exalting culture. Everything that the culture pushes for is self-exaltation. From social media to success and every category you can think of, we are trying to exalt ourselves. The Christian life says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I thought by now I would be less prideful. Does anybody feel like that? Like, I, I really did. I thought by now I'd be less prideful. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and yet I still struggle with um, my pride. In fact, the closer that I come to Jesus, the more he reveals about my insane levels of pride. And maybe you're the same way. He calls me, he calls us instead to humility. There's a church in Bethlehem that we just went to called the Church of Nativity. It's the place... The traditional spot of Jesus' birth, not the church, but the cave underneath the uh, church. And when you go in this church in Bethlehem, they, they have this tiny little door. It's this magnificent church with a tiny door. And the first time I ever saw it, like 15 years ago or whatever, I thought, that is the weirdest thing. I have a tiny little door. There's a guy standing right here. First of all, he's checking that your knees are covered and your shoulders are covered. Make sure you're respectful when you go in there. But secondly... You're going to bow low before you enter this holy place. This is why they have a tiny door. He says, you have to humble yourself. And you go in this, in this door. And I just went in it again for like the 400th time. And I thought to myself, am, am I, I have this weird opportunity to, to go through that door once or twice a year. And I always ask myself as I'm lowering myself, trying not to hit my head. Am I more humbled this time I went through this door than I was last time I went through this door? Humility 
before God is the essence of Christianity. It's how you have, you have to lay down your pride. All sin flows from pride. And so the very first step to a walk with God and a rejection of, of friendship with the world is, is humility. It's, it's in humility that we begin to agree with God that he's the sovereign king of the universe and we are not. That we are just a man or just a woman. That we are uh, not, not uh, unlimited, but we, we are limited. That we are uh, people with uh, insufficiencies. When he is perfectly sufficient. Uh, he has no end. We are, we, are, we are doing with our life what Jesus taught us to pray when he said, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is praying. This way is aligning our heart with the fact that we need to be low before God because he is the sovereign king of the universe and we just aren't. But yet we struggle with our pride and wanting to be... It's interesting and counterintuitive that, that the, the scripture says that when you humble yourself before God, it gives him the opportunity to exalt you. But when you're not humble before God, he will always bring you low. Quite the opposite, counterintuitive. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 8. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, meaning the elders of the church, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. This one comes with a promise. You humble yourself, and he will exalt you. These are the five things James says we have to do in order to reject friendship with the world and not have enmity with God and this sense of double-mindedness, this tension with God, but love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I was thinking about you because these five things are easy to rattle off. And if you're a note-taker, maybe you wrote down these five things. Maybe you, uh, maybe you think, okay, that's all I have to do. It's a recipe. Five, five things I have to do and, uh, and everything will be uh, great. But here's, here, here's the reality. Submission is so hard. Resisting is so hard. Drawing near sometimes is difficult. Um, repenting is rough sometimes. Humility does not come naturally. And yet all these things James is saying to us, the church of Jesus Christ, this, this is friendship with God. These things. Submitting, resisting, Intentionally getting closer, repenting, humbling ourselves. And the thing that struck me, and the thing I think of for each one of us, is that a lot of times we will show up at church and we'll, we'll think, well, these things are just going to happen by osmosis. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing and I'm going to worship. I'm going to be together with the body of Christ. And, and instantly I'm going to sub- submit or that something magically will happen. I'll, I'll change these things are all an act of choice, an act of decision, an act of the will. We choose to submit. We choose to resist. We choose to draw near. We choose to repent. We choose to humble ourselves. So my question is, what will you choose? Friendship with the world or friendship with God?
Some of you uh, have heard this entire thing and thought to yourself, that is like white noise and I don't even understand what you're talking about. And that's probably because you haven't taken the first step of submission. And that's, that's where we all start. We have to recognize like, okay, I really am a sinner. I really do fall short. The Bible says for all I've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't rescue myself. Uh, uh, I can't do enough good to pull it off. Uh, I don't know whether I would go to heaven when I die. I don't know if I'm in a right relationship with Jesus. I mean, with God himself. Um, and, and what the scripture says is that we come to him in humility, submitting to him primarily when we say um, with our mouth that J- Jesus is Lord. It means that if he's the Lord, then I'm, I'm the servant. If we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we really believe that he was raised on the third day. Because if he wasn't, none of this matters. But if he was, it changes everything. We really believe that he was raised on the third day. And we're saved. Saved from what? Sin is a byproduct. We're saved from the wrath of God who justly judges sin. So maybe you need to take that first step today and just submit to him. Uh, You will find, when you you confess your sins to God, you will find uh, hope. You will find grace. You will find forgiveness. That's, those are things the enemy doesn't want you to know, but you will. If you confess your sins to another brother or sister in Christ, you will find the same things if they're full of, full of Christ. Right? Um, so maybe that's you. And church, this is a church that doesn't quarrel much. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Really grateful. It's aligned. It's unified. And I think it's because people fix their eyes on Jesus. It has to be that they fix their eyes on Jesus. But let me just say to you, we're not exempt from it. Just like James listeners aren't exempt from it. And we need to pray each and every day that all of us as a church, that that we together uh, submit, that we choose to submit, that we together resist, that we together repent, that we together uh, humble ourselves before God, that we, we stay this way, uh, that we even grow in it, that, uh, that we might be his representatives on the earth. And um, there's, there's, there's no worse ambassador for Christ than a prideful ambassador for Christ. That's as bad as it gets for the world. They will never hear the gospel from a prideful ambassador. We need to be humble uh, servants. So would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you about you for just a moment. So God, we are... Um, Well, we have, heard, we have heard James's message loud and clear. We hear what you're saying to us. Lord, help us as we choose to submit, as we choose to draw near, as we choose to repent, as we choose to resist, as we choose to humble ourselves. Help us each and every day to consistently love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, put to death in us a friendship with a world that is idolatry. Not that we won't have friends in the world, but God, when we worship the world and our own success and what's right in our own eyes versus what's right in your eyes and who you are, God, we just, we just breed enmity with you. 
And so, God, um, would you draw us near, even as we draw near? God, we, uh, I pray for anyone who's here today who maybe has never entered into a relationship with you. God, I pray that by your spirit they would sense in, the, in their own lives right now that you're calling them to, 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 to seek you for forgiveness, to seek you for grace. Uh, help them to believe that, that you really did send your son, Jesus, to die on a cross to save us from our sins and, and, and that he was raised on the third day that we also would be raised to a new way of living, a new life altogether. Um, Father, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.